0: It is good to be back together, as Joseph mentioned, even though we're not all 100% yet, but we're on our way there. Mark sent me a message earlier this week asking how I was doing, and I said, Well, we're doing good except for the souvenir cough that is hanging around. We, it just it, it keeps, on, uh, keeps on coming back, but hopefully I can make it through the sermon tonight or this morning without uh, too much hacking. If you can remember back this far, a couple weeks ago, we started looking at a series of lessons about God's intention for the home. And in our first lesson, we talked about God's design for the home and the the details around that. Uh, Just as a way of reminder, we talked about the fact that the family is a God designed institution from the very beginning of time. God designed the family and how He wanted it to be structured. As such, it needs to be a respected institution. It's a blessing in our lives, and we need to respect our families. Our families are designed to be independent institutions where love abounds, and it is designed by God to be permanent, lifelong, and it should be based upon the foundation of God's Word and His will in our lives. And so to this morning I'd like to continue the discussion and talk with you about God's design for men in the home. And then, Lord willing, we'll follow up with a lesson about women next week. Next week's might need to be a two- or three-part lesson. Uh, no. This, this lesson today is very important. I'll be talking uh, to myself this morning, and I hope that the other men in the congreg- in the group here can find... <laughs> Things in your life that you can do better as well as we look at the important role that God has given men in the home. In our society today, men are doing a very sorry job of being men. 24 million children, about 34% of every child in America today, lives absent their biological father. Their biological father is not in their lives There are almost one and a half million births a year in 2020 that were out of wedlock to single mothers. That's over 40% of all births are to mothers who are not married to the father's child. 43% of first marriages dissolve within 15 years. About 60% of divorcing couples have children. And that leaves those children without both parents in the house. Approximately one million children each year experience the divorce of their parents. Men are doing a sorry job of being men. Over 3.3 million children live with an unmarried parent and the parent's cohabiting partner. The number of cohabiting couples with children has nearly doubled since 1990. This, these, these, this statistic is a little bit old, but from about 800, almost 900,000 to now 1.7 million. And about 40 percent of children in father-absent homes have not seen their father at all during the past year. Twenty-six percent of absent fathers live in a different state than their children, and 50 percent of children living absent their father have never set foot in their father's home. Shocking. Shocking statistics. Men in our society are doing a very sorry job of being men. Well, I want to make sure that we understand that in in the church, in our families, the responsibility that we as men have to be the men that God has designed us to be. You know, the man's role is attacked in the media. Television shows for years have portrayed the father as being the one who just sort of bumbles along and doesn't really have it together. The father is the brunt of the jokes in many sitcoms, as being the one who's incompetent and maybe the mother has it under control, but definitely the kids are the ones who are holding it all together. The father is under attack in the media today. The media is portraying a man as someone who cannot lead. He's not competent enough to lead. And the feminist movement in our society today have portrayed men as those who should not be leading. But God says that a man must lead. The man must be the head of his family. In Genesis chapter 3, beginning of verse 16, again, from the Garden of Eden, God set this precedence in place and this hierarchy, Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth thy, forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. The husband is to be the head of the family. First Corinthians chapter one, verse thirteen, or first Corinthians chapter eleven, verse three. <coughs> says, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. No one would ever raise their hand and say, you know, I don't think Christ should be head of the church. We ought to also not question then the fact that man is to be the head of the woman. Now, this is very unpolitically correct. This sounds even bigoted to those in our society today. But the scriptures are clear on this. And we're going to talk about why this is not bigoted and why this is a healthy thing in just a minute. But we have to understand the the fact that the scriptures teach over and over again that the man is to be head of the wife. Ephesians chapter 5, the passage that that Joseph just read for us. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, verse 22 beginning of Ephesians 5. As unto the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. We go on, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. For he that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we were members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. God said that women are to be subject to their husbands in everything. Everything. Women, you can help your husbands lead by, have the, by having the right attitude towards his leadership. It says here at the end of this passage, let the wife see that she reverence her husband. You can support your husband in his leadership. You can support him in his decision-making and his taking the position of being head of the family. You can support that by reverencing him, but husbands, you need to understand your responsibility to lead the family. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4, in the qualifications of elders, note That the qualifications of elders tell us that the elder is one who rules his own house well, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Men are to lead, men are to rule their own houses well. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 tells us that fathers are not to provoke their children to wrath, but to bring them up in the nurture. An admonition of the Lord. Men are to be leading their families. It's not an option. It's not an option that a man lead his family. No, God expects that. God expects that from all personality types. There are some men who are more natural leaders than others, but God expects all men to be the head of their family, to be leading. Husbands must lead. We need to be clear on that. But i tell you that that's very unpolitically correct to say those things today, and it might even cause some to sort of shirk back and say, whoa, wait a minute, I'm not comfortable with that kind of language. But we're not talking about the man being a tyrant here. No, we're talking about a man who leads following Christ's example of leadership. As Christ leads the church, and a man does that by loving his wife. In Mark chapter 10, verse 7, in Mark chapter 10, verse 7, Jesus tells us about this relationship that we assume when we are married. He says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. The statement by Jesus shows affection. That they are, the man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. I want to tell you something about this. This cleaving to your wife needs, means that you need to be giving in the relationship as well. This is not that you marry someone and she sticks to you and she conforms to whatever your desires and your interests are. No, the man is to cleave to his wife. That indicates that he's bending and giving and flexible, doesn't it? He's gluing to her. He's sticking to her. The wife is not the one who has to lay all of her interests and her desires and her needs aside when she becomes married so that she can accommodate your needs. No, you're to cleave to her. It indicates to me that you're the one giving as well. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23 again, notice the language that we've looked at here, that husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her. Even as Christ loved the church. You're to love your wives like Christ loved the church. Are you doing that? Are you loving your wife like Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it? What are you giving for your wife? Christ gave His life for the church. What are you giving for your wife? Do you love your wife like Christ loved the church? Some might say, well, I got this down. Do you? Are you sacrificially loving your wife like Christ loved the church? You know, it's easy to be selfish in our marriage relationship. But it's clear from this passage, as we look at how Christ loves the church, that there's no room for selfishness. So men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Is there anything that your body might need that you might withhold from it? If you had an aching knee, is there anything you wouldn't do to relieve that ache? Some need that your body had that you wouldn't give it? I tell you, we ought to love our wives like our own bodies. Are we taking care of them like we should? No man ever uh, hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherishes his own flesh. Are we nourishing and cherishing our wives like we should? Are we nourishing their physical needs? Their emotional needs? Are we cherishing her like we should? What do you do with things that you cherish? Do you take care of them? If you had a new truck, a shiny new truck that just came out of the factory with that nice, clean paint job, would you take care of it? Would you be concerned about it? Would you be careful where you parked it? Would you be careful about how it was treated? So it needs to be with our wives. We need to take care of our wives. We need to nourish and cherish them. We need to understand then when God tells us that men are to be heads of the house, heads of the family, that we're not talking about a tyrant here. We're not talking about a dictator here. We're not talking about a man who just looks out after his own needs and his wife and his children are just there for him and to satisfy his needs. No, this is a sacrificial type of leadership, isn't it? Like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, so the man is to be giving for his wife and for his children. Nourishing and cherishing those precious things. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, though, We see another instruction here, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. You know, as we enter into this relationship and we come into this marriage relationship with this idea of sacrificial loving leadership, you know, it's going to require a lot of sacrifice on the man's part. The man's going to have to give in a lot of areas. He's going to have to sacrifice a lot of things in order to nourish and cherish his wife in order to bring his children up in the nour- nurture and admonition of the Lord, there's going to be a lot of sacrifices involved. And Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, don't be bitter about that. Don't start to look at all the things that you're sacrificing and you say, you know what, I think I'm getting in the short end of this, this deal. I sure am giving a lot, but I don't see a lot on the other end coming back towards me. No, don't you get bitter about that. You love your wife as the church, as Christ loved the church. Don't be bitter. Can you imagine Christ being bitter? You know, I hung on the cross for the church. I, I don't think I'm getting the right into this deal. I wore that crown of thorns for the church. I don't think I'm getting paid back like I should. Can you imagine that from Christ? Don't you become bitter as you lead your family in a loving and sacrificial way. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says, Likewise you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. We have to dwell with our wives according to knowledge. takes wisdom, doesn't it? And to dwell with our wife according to knowledge means we need to have some input from her, don't we? We need to know what's going on. We need to know what the needs are so that we can dwell according to those needs. Dwell according to knowledge. Give honor, give preference to your wife. It's not all about you, men. It's not all about you. Give preference, give honor to your wife as unto the weaker vessel. Let your prayers be not hindered. This is how important it is. Our relationship with God, our standing with Him, can be compromised. If our relationship with our wife is not what it should be, if we're not working to maintain that relationship like it should, our prayers can be hindered. The man is to be the head of his family. He's to do that by loving his wife. I'll tell you what else he's told to do. He needs to love his children as well. The statistics that we looked at at the beginning of our lesson show very clearly that most men in our society, unfortunately, do not love their children like they should. It's a natural thing to love your children, but many don't have that affection that they should. In Romans chapter 1, verses 29 through 32, talks about all those wicked characteristics and traits of those who turn their back against God and who refuse to submit to Him. But notice one of those characteristics it says that those who are without natural affection. Natural affection says that you would love your children, yet many are not loving them like they should. There are many men in our society today who only care about themselves, about their pleasures, about their desires, about their ego, about their standing in society. They only care about themselves. They're without natural affection. But we need fathers who love their children, Fathers like the one described in Matthew, in Luke chapter 15, beginning of verse 20, in that famous story of the prodigal son, I want you to notice the father's attitude towards his son in this account. In Luke chapter 15, beginning of verse 20, the prodigal rose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, "Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in thy sight I am no more worthy to be called thy son." But the father said to his servants, "Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a and bring a ring or, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. What about this father? I will remind you what this father had endured at the hand of his son. His son, who had no regard for him or his inheritance, he said, Give it to me now. And he left and he wasted his inheritance on riotous living. This son had, in effect, spit in his father's face. And yet, when his father sees him coming from a long way away, he has compassion. And he runs to his son because of that love that he had for his son. We need fathers who love their children this way, who are willing to sacrifice for their children. They have their children's best desire at heart. And that doesn't mean that a father is going to love his children and just sort of overlook their shortcomings. No. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12, For whom the Lord... Loveth, he chasteneth, even as a father, the son, in whom he delighteth. Our love for our children means that we're going to discipline them as we strive to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That will require discipline. And a father who loves his children will discipline or chasten his son or his daughter. Proverbs chapter thirteen verse twenty four says, "He that spareth his the rod, uh, hateth his son; but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes." Have you ever heard someone say, as they had a child that was totally undisciplined, who had no correction? Well, I just love him or her too much to discipline them. Yeah, I realize Johnny's a little out of control. But I just couldn't ever see myself spanking him or disciplining him. I just love him too much to discipline him. God says you don't love him if you don't. We need fathers who love their children enough to provide the discipline and correction that they need. Foolishness is bound in the heart of the child, Proverbs 22, verse 15 says. But the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Children aren't born knowing how they should behave. And one of the ways that they learn is by corporal punishment. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. The rod of correction shall drive it far from him. We need fathers to love their children. Something else that should go without saying, and maybe in generations gone by it went without saying as much as it requires saying today. I want to say that the man is to be providing for his family. That's sort of changed in our society today, hasn't it? Where so many men are unwilling to be providing for their family like they should. In Luke chapter 11 in Luke chapter 11, Jesus understands, or uses this principle that men should be providing for their families. It's such a given in Jesus' society that he's able to use it as the foundation for a lesson. In Luke chapter 11, beginning of verse 11. If a son ask for uh, any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? If he asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he for the fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Jesus is basing his, his conclusion here on a principle that fathers take care of their children. Fathers provide for their children. Yet in our society today, it seems like that is not commonly understood that fathers need to be providing for their families, all the way back in the beginning. In Genesis chapter three, beginning of verse 17, notice what God says to Adam in Genesis chapter three, beginning of verse 17. And to Adam he said, "Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying thou shalt not eat of it." Cursed is the ground for thy sake; it sh- in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the f- herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it thou wast taken; for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. God said, "You're going to have to work for your food now. In the sweat of the br- of thy brow you'll sh- you shall eat bread." God said, "Men." need to be working to provide for their needs. And they need to be working to provide for the needs of their family as well. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. If any will not provide for his own. This includes husbands providing for their family. Sadly, there are many men who are failing at this. Men who, well, just to be blunt, are lazy. Who are unwilling to work. Unwilling to do the jobs that they could to provide for their families in any way possible. I knew of a man who had several children who sat on the couch every day while his wife went out to work to provide for the needs of the family. He sat on the couch and watched television all day. Shameful. And in days gone by, it would have not been tolerated, and yet in our society today, that's acceptable, that's okay. Men need to be providing for the needs of their family. And closely associated with that, men, we need to be making good financial decisions. Maybe we are willing and able to work And we're able to work and maybe make a good living. We need to be making good financial decisions. That's closely associated with this, isn't it? As we provide for the needs of our families. And yet men many times make selfish decisions. Things and decisions about what they want and what they desire that put their family in financial jeopardy. Because they're not providing like they should and making those smart decisions. Young people, as you think about someday maybe you might want to get married and have a family, you need to be making decisions now about how you're going to provide for that family. Parents, we need to be working on teaching our children how they can work and provide for the needs of their family. Certainly, women can be involved in that as well, but men, you need to understand your desire, or sorry, your responsibility to provide for your families. And then finally, this morning, I want to tell you that a man, if he's going to be the type of person he needs to be in his family, is a person who is going to be faithful. You can't do any of the things that we've talked about today well unless you're first faithful to God. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, Joshua, as he leads his family, notice that it starts with him being faithful to God. Joshua 24 verse 15, the passage that is probably hanging on many walls in your your houses today. And if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Notice this, but as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Joshua started with me Joshua says, I'm going to be faithful to the Lord and I'm going to lead my family to do the same. Men, we have to make the decision that we are going to be faithful to the Lord. I can't lead my family to be faithful to the Lord unless I am faithful to the Lord. Have you known men in the past who were all about their wives being faithful to God and their wives bringing up their children the way that they should, but the man had no interest in that? He wanted the wife and the kids to be uh, Christian. He wanted them to serve the Lord. But he didn't care about that. Is he successful at that? No, he's not. Unless I make the decision that I'm going to be faithful to God in every area of my life, I won't be successful in leading my family like I should. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16: Let your light shall so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Where else? and I let my light shine more brilliantly than in my family. What does my light say to my family? What does the way that I live my life say to my wife and to my kids about how I respect God, how I respect His Word, how I respect the church? What is my light saying to my family? What do my priorities say to my family about what's most important? What do my actions say to my family about how I respect and honor God's authority in my life? I want to tell you, men, unless we get this right, unless we get our faithfulness to God right, unless we make up our minds that I'm going to be the one who's faithful, I won't be able to leave my family like I should. If you're not serving God as you should... Quite bluntly, you don't love your family like you should. And you will not be the type of husband, type of father that you should be, period. Men have an important role to play in the success of their families. Many in our society today are not fulfilling that role like they should. God wants men to be the head of the family. And that headship starts by loving his wife, like Christ loved the church. And by loving his children in such a way that he sacrifices for them and leads them and corrects them and disciplines them like he should. And loves his family in such a way that he provides for their needs. And he models what faithfulness to God looks like in his family life. Hope the things have been helpful to you this morning as we think about what men need to be in their family. What about you this morning? Are you living like God has instructed you to? Are you submitting it to him in every aspect of your life? If you're not, can we help you do better? Can we help you this morning? If there's anything we can do to help, let us know while we stand and sing.